In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, 12th verse. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to think, drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing... Where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, given the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all, are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We're continuing our series this morning. Uh, we're calling it We Believe. We're establishing and understanding those foundational beliefs that we have as Christians, the building blocks for what makes us Christians, what makes us not just United Methodists, but part of the church as a whole, the church universal. And we're exploring the Apostles' Creed. We're exploring that, that foundational creed established uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago by the early leaders of the church, to give us something to hang on to. Beyond just the scriptures and the, and the dogma and doctrine of our individual churches, the Apostles' Creed was established to give us the basic Christian beliefs. This is the minimums. This is the basic of what it means to be a Christian, a, a condensed version of how to define Christianity. And we're breaking that down and, and trying to examine what that means for us. Uh, to start, uh, we need to start with the word saint, and because we're continuing in this series, uh, we're talking about uh, the belief in our communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins. That's our section today. I believe in the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins. 
We have to understand what the word saint means, uh, which of course means all those who are a part of that church universal. We talked last week about universal, right? We talked about how, you know, at a wedding, the, the pants that they give the groomsmen aren't universal like they say they are. Uh, but the church is universal. The church is uh, something that actually uh, exists for all of us and uh, actually works for all of us. And the saints are the members of that church, both past and present, those who are here today and those of us of our ancestors who have passed on. The church is truly and perfectly universal. Now, we talk about the communion of saints. We also talk about Holy Communion. Now, communion of saints is not referring specifically to Holy Communion. It's referring to community. But what's so cool about Holy Communion is what it represents. Holy Communion, I believe, is the most important aspect of worship. It's the most important thing we do in the walls of the church because it's a connection with Christ that's unique unlike anything else. And although different churches have different understandings of what happens at communion, have different understandings of who is supposed to receive it, have different understandings about what it's supposed to look like, we all can agree, miraculously, that something incredible is happening and that we are present with Christ in some way. The church universal is expressed in communion. And today we're reflecting on why connecting with Christians, both past and present, is important. And reflecting on those most central and extraordinary things in our faith, part of the greatest story ever told. And that's the forgiveness of our own sins. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, if you ask any good theologian or commentary, that's going to be your citation for the communion of saints, right? That's going to be the portion of the Bible uh, that the apostles drew from when establishing the line, the communion of saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is giving us a very basic, very obvious metaphor uh, for our own faith and for the church, something we all understand, the parts of the body, right? We understand that different parts of our body held different purposes and that without them, the body as a whole can sometimes struggle to do what it once did. Uh, If you ask somebody what the most important organ of the body is, they might have a different idea. Uh, But ask the brain how long it can survive without the heart and and be any good, right? Our body is connected, and it's, it's designed that way by God in this incredible way that it works because it's together, because it's in one piece. And it's incredible to think that the church exists in the same way. The body of Christ, this holy and set apart universal church, needs all of, its function, all of its parts to function in order for the church to do what it can do best. Lacking some parts, it can't function at all, and lacking other parts, it can't do everything that God has designed it to do. With our willingness to follow our call and serve others, we can become those parts of the church that make it function. Christianity and the church only work when we work together, when we come together as one. A favorite John Wesley quote of mine includes, though we can all think alike, may we all love alike, right? To be the part of the universal church, to be a part of the church as a whole, doesn't mean that we have unified theology or unified beliefs or unified ideas. Those things would be nice, but they're not, prob- not likely to happen. But being a part of the universal church means having a unified mission, that we all recognize that sharing the gospel of peace and love is the most essential thing that we do, and that caring for those who have needs is part of who we are. The universal church exists because the mission is universal, not because we all have the same ideas. Humanity coming together seems more and more important and more and more apparent every day. Once again, I find myself in a situation of of needing to change my sermon uh, because of the events of a weekend. Most of you have seen the news. Most of you know that over the weekend, a group of eight militants uh, in France coordinated several attacks and killed at least 130 and wounded nearly 400 others. That's what we know so far. Uh, very few details that we have yet, it just happened, but we're once again in the church on a Sunday morning worshiping God and reflecting in our hearts and in our minds in violence, in tragedy, 
uh, in understanding that evil exists in the world despite our hardest efforts, that, that there is still this concept, there's still this idea that a person's ideology, that their ideas, that, that their hatred uh, can be so powerful that they can take the lives of others, uh, innocent others who, who they didn't know, who hadn't done anything wrong, who hadn't done anything to harm them, who they decided to harm because their ideology told them so. <clears throat> Over the weekend, uh, we, we saw evil exist once again. Students, tourists, mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters, uh, because evil had permeated in the minds of some, uh, that their lives were taken. And once again, uh, this morning, the church, with a capital C, all of us who call ourselves Christian, stands together once again asking the question of why. Why senseless violence happens, why radicalized fundamentalism happens, why evil happens. And once again, the church comes asking God to give us direction and peace. A lot of things are going to happen in the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, we know the pattern by now. We know what happens. People are going to tell us all the solutions to these problems. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to ask you to support them. They're going to stand up and say that this is the one quick solution. This, this is the brilliant idea to how to fix all this. We do this one thing, and it won't ever happen again, and then it happens again, and they tell us the next big thing that's going to fix it all. And, and we like the idea of these simple solutions, these, these easy ways to solve all of the world's problems because they don't force us to reflect on the humanity of it all. They don't force us to reflect on the fact that evil finds a way and that evil permeates, that, that somehow these things are going to continue to happen, that somehow evil could still happen no matter what we do to try and stop it. Legislators are going to mate, and they're probably going to come up with new security measures and, and new ways to prevent this kind of thing from happening, and, and it might make us feel safer, but we're still going to be in a situation where evil exists in the world. And once again, the church comes asking God why that happens. And once again, the church comes reflecting on what it is we're called to do in the midst of that. And the church needs to meet. Legislators are going to meet. Political leaders are going to meet. Military leaders are going to meet. But it's important for the church to meet. And the church doesn't have to meet in one physical place. The church meets in prayer. Prayer is incredibly important for us to be reflecting on the evil in the world and also on the peace that God brings, to soften our hearts so that we don't want to repay evil with evil, so that we can live our lives in a better way than what evil has for us. The communion of saints is what I was planning on preaching this morning, and that's not going to change because there's really nothing better to understand the power of the church in the midst of evil than than to reflect on the fact that the church comes together in times like these. When we pray, we pray alongside every single Christian now and yesterday. Now, I, I don't like the phrase, I, I really, really don't like the phrase, the world needs God now more than ever. And let me tell you why I don't like that phrase. I don't like the phrase because it suggests that the world doesn't need God as much when things are good. And I just don't think that's true. I don't think that there's ever a moment in our, in our lives, in the, in the history of the world, that the world didn't need God as much as possible. That the world didn't need God in every aspect of that world. Whether things were great or things were terrible, whether there was tragedy there was surplus and blessing. But I do think that it's fair to say that the world needs God in a unique way right now. That the world needs something unique from God that it shouldn't have to ask from God. The world needs a way for us to be the hands and feet of God to bring peace. Most of you probably remember where you were on, on 9-11, right? We have uh, probably the, the most horrific example of terrorism uh, in modern history happened in our lifetimes. I was in the fifth grade at the time, um, and I remember I, I went to school, and there was talk about a plane crash, and, and you know, in the fifth grade, I think for most people too, uh, adults included, we didn't quite understand what was happening at that point. You know that planes don't just crash into buildings, right? You know that's not what's supposed to happen, but there was still that thought that it could be an accident, that we weren't sure what happened. <clears throat> I actually went home from school that day. My mom was like a lot of parents and families, was afraid, wasn't sure what to do. And she just kind of wanted to be home with her kids. So we watched. And I remember walking in 
And I walked into a scene of a CNN uh, commentator arguing with a producer, saying that he wanted a live picture, but they kept showing a replay. What it was was the second plane hitting the tower, and he didn't realize that that was a live picture, and that that wasn't a replay of the first plane. It took him a minute to realize what was happening, and all of a sudden it clicked, and, and you could kind of feel his soul just kind of drop as he realized. I mean, you could just see this in his eyes as he realized that this wasn't an accident, that this definitely was something really bad, and that something very dangerous was happening. And he kept talking. I remember that. I, I remember even in fifth grade kind of thinking, I wonder if this guy knows he can stop talking for a second. That he doesn't have to have all the answers. He's saying, well, well maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe, maybe navigation systems failed, maybe this failed, maybe this happened. He was trying to come up with a solution because he knew that's what people were looking for. But the reality of 9-11 was in that moment, we just needed a time to be quiet and to pray. I remember what that felt like and how scary it was to be in, a, in fifth grade and the day before feeling like you were invincible and then all of a sudden wondering how safe it really was to be a person on planet Earth. That things like this can just happen and without warning. This morning I'm reflecting on fifth graders in France, what it must feel like for them to have experienced this kind of violence at a, at a sport venue in their capital city, to, to experience bombings at a soccer game. I bet a lot of those fifth grade kids in France play soccer. I bet a lot of them uh, might have been playing soccer that Friday night somewhere else and kicking the ball with their friends. Uh, what, what must that feel like to be a fifth grader and to have something that's so special to you be a mark of evil and to be a mark of something that they will remember for the rest of their lives? The church has a responsibility now to be those hands and feet to French fifth graders, to people in our communities, to people around the world, to show them that the God of love brings peace and brings comfort and that doesn't ask evil and doesn't ask, ask for hate. I, I really believe, and I really do believe this from the bottom of my heart, that these things couldn't happen if the God of peace was on the heart of everyone. Uh, no security measure will ever beat the idea that God can bring peace to the world if we'd share him. One of the most difficult things I think we're going to do is going to be just like that CNN commentator. It's going to be difficult for us to understand that it's okay not to have the answers, that it's okay not to have the solution to all of these problems, that it's okay to be critical of someone when they tell us that they know exactly how to fix this because chances are it's just not that easy. And God is going to ask us to be more critical than that. God is going to ask us to fix the problem. God is going to tell us that I've told you the solution all along, and that's the peace and love that comes from God. God is going to tell us to share that message with the world. Uh, God, is, uh, I really hope that in the church we would also reject the voices that are going to be very loud in the coming weeks to tell us to repay hate with hate, to tell us that we need to hate the people who did this in uh, the people who look like the people who did this, the people who live near the people who did this. We need to hate entire groups of people because somehow affiliated with those who did this. And that only hate can stop the hate, and it just doesn't work like that. First Peter tells us that our responsibility as Christians is not to repay insult with insult or to repay evil with evil, but to respond in love. That's not easy. We, it's easy to say. We say it all the time. Somebody somewhere's probably got that on a poster somewhere. But it's a whole lot harder to do than it is to actually say. To actually respond to evil with love to understand that, that the idea of radicalization is complex and that there's no easy solution and that, that we can't just group people together and, and feel safe because we've persecuted one group. We can't accept that when someone stands up and says they know exactly how to fix it, that they're telling the truth. Evil exists because we allow it to grow by asking evil to repay evil. But God expects better than that from us. And God has prepared something better than that for us. The church universe also needs to come in solidarity to those who aren't like us 
The attacks in Paris were awful, but they weren't even the only thing going on. They weren't even the worst attack over the weekend. In Beirut, an area outside of Syria, a bombing killed nearly as many as, as were killed in Paris. In Libya, a week before, a bombing uh, killed dozens. And, and throughout the Middle East and throughout the world, uh, these same groups are attacking everyone, uh, not just um, people in France. They're attacking Christians, Jews, Muslims. They're, they're attacking non-religious people, religious people. They're attacking anybody that they identify as someone who is an enemy, someone who's an enemy to their, their very specific radical belief. The church has a lot of work to do. We've got to roll up our sleeves and find our gifts, find our purpose, and find how we're called to bring peace to the world. That's not easy. It really isn't. One of the toughest things, I think, in the world, one of the toughest things for Christians, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, is recognizing that sometimes we don't have the answer. But somehow, even without the answer, we know the solution. We know the solution is God and the peace that comes from God. We know that when we share the love of God with other people, that their hearts are softened and that the idea that evil exists in the world starts to fade away. Evil can't exist with God. The two are so incompatible, like oil and water. When we share God with the world, we start to drive evil out. I love the Martin Luther King Jr. quote. It comes out every time there's a tragedy like this, and it's come out again. It's all over Facebook and Twitter and all that. The quote is this, he says, Martin Luther King Jr. said that he says that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only love can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only light can do that. The idea is that that that's what Christians are called to do, to show an example of what righteous living in God really means and looks like. We're part of the universal church, we're holy and set apart for God. I believe in that, I, I believe that firmly. And now more than ever, when we have these tragedies that happen in the world and, and we're finding ourselves faced with this reality, now more than ever, we have this belief and understanding that we are a part of the universal church, that we're in solidarity with people around the world who are experiencing persecution and violence and tragedy. Christians who are persecuted, we're, we're told here in America that we're persecuted if somebody doesn't say Merry Christmas to us, but in other parts of the world, they're killed uh, because they're sharing the gospel. And, and that's our church too. As Paul tells us, when one member of the church suffers, we all suffer, and and we suffer. And we suffer when this sort of violence happens. I also believe very firmly in the forgiveness of sins, right? That's the second part of what what we're breaking down today, the forgiveness of sins. That's the most incredible promise God's ever given us. My favorite verse in the Bible, some of you know this, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The reason I like that is that it says what John 3.16 says, and everyone knows John 3.16, right? Everybody knows that, that Christ died for our sins, but it adds a line in the beginning that says God demonstrates his love for us in this. God didn't need to prove to you that he loved you. God didn't need to show anything to you for you to love him back, but he chose to. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, and he did it so that you would know that he loves you. God is willing to give anything to show his love for you. And what he asks in return is that we would share that love with the world. The forgiveness of sins manifests itself in the purest and most incredible way in the communion of saints, in the sharing of the church together, universal, going out in the world and sharing that love and sharing the gospel. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And my prayer for us is that I hope that you will too. And I hope that you do too. My prayer for us this week is that our hearts would break for what breaks God's. That, that our hearts would, would cry out for those who are hurt, those who were killed, those who lost loved ones in the midst of all this evil, and that our heart would, would want to do something about it. More than just wave a flag, we would want to stand up to evil in a sense of serving God and loving our neighbor.
that we would want to love people so much that nobody could ever feel like that's the path their life is supposed to take. Because they've experienced the love of God too much to believe that evil is the right decision for them. My prayer for us this week is to feel so impassioned to share the love of God expressed in the forgiveness of sins in the communion of saints with the hurting world that needs to hear this now more than ever. Amen.